you tip nine, ladies and gentlemen, you're lying because no one saw that coming. All four teams with new coaches at the helm secured four points in round one, much to dismay of footy tipping comps around the country, while Melbourne, Collingwood and Sydney with a clear stance in round one, Brisbane, Fremantle and Hawthorne have the biggest causes for concern. This is the Fans Eye Views Water Cooler Cheat Sheet brought to you by Sportsmate TLA and, of course, the Footy Live app. And speaking of Hawthorne, with me to enough out on the weekend's action is one very sad hawk indeed, Nikki G. How yes. was the weekend for you? I think you summed it up right there, Gordo. Very sad. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, two words to describe that game. Uh, reality check. I think we all knew Hawthorne were going to be pretty bad, but yeah, that was that brought us down to earth a little bit. Um, not too happy about that. The 1983 Premiership team watching on from the stands, and yeah, it was quite embarrassing to dish up a, a performance like that, but we'll get into that a little bit later on. But it was, it, in all seriousness, it was good to have footy back, so not a bad weekend overall. There were some good games of footy. There were some good games of footy, and we'll get into our uh, hot take, real take, actual take quite soon. But of course, with the fans, it was with the fan experience, and so yeah. not the fans, but the uh, media had a lot to say say about the grass yes. everyone's favorite topic That's grass it. have you ever been to a family barbecue or <laughs> unwanted east chat uncle someone's always there talking about his bloody grass yeah and so was joe waitley and so was uh david king and so was mostly uh, media channels so you went to the g you yes. were there during the uh, day on a sunday at the yep. end of a long weekend of football four games at the mcg yours was the fourth game how was your view of the grass I mean, you could definitely tell the difference. Um, you could see where all the patches were and all that. Um, and obviously, over the course of the weekend, obviously, there were a few injuries. We don't know if, you know, they were the cause. Uh, we don't know if the grass was the cause for those injuries. But what was evident was players slipping over all the time. Um I don't think you can really do anything about that, though. Uh, I think it's quite remarkable that the groundsmen were able to get it in as good shape as it was, um, to be honest. Like, it's not like the grass was painted over like it was in the AFLW over the summer. Uh, sorry, not the summer, before the summer. Um, but, yeah, it, it looked all right. Yes, a bit slippery, different different conditioned turf with the old grass um, next to it. But, um, yeah, look, I don't think it's you can really use it as an excuse, to be honest. No, and, and you know, and it's obviously lots of different situations that none of us are privy to around concerts and all those sorts of things, and lots of wild allegations being yeah. made. But at the end of the day, the MCG is a big stadium. It needs to make money. It needs to vouch for itself yeah. in the off season. There's only one cricket game of any note that's played there in the summer. So if a concert's going to come around and fill the thing up and have a really great experience, mm. so be it. We're both massive Ed Sheeran fans anyway. So <laughs> I think we had more fun at the Ed Sheeran concert than we did at uh, both of our games we went to this weekend. So. Yes, very true, very true. But it was Chris Scott who actually brought that up, made it a topic. Obviously, his comments in that post-match press conference. I just wonder if Geelong had won that game, would it really have been as big of a topic as it was made out to be in oh, the Oh, definitely end. not. That's Chris Scott at his finest. Yeah, I, I think it's an interesting discussion for others to have. It's, it's distasteful when the coach of the losing team talks about the surface, um, but it, it's it's worthy of discussion. Yeah, so just, again, I'm, I'm relaying this. I've got an opinion that I'm going to keep to myself, but the issue is that there are differences on the ground now, some bits that are really firm. Um, and you can keep your feet and other bits that are really soft and you can't keep your feet. Um, and I guess, like, the point that is raised, you know, and, again, it's not a criticism, it's not my area, but 
It's been a long time since the grand final. It's the biggest game in the land and it's the best ground in the world, in my view. Um, so to compromise the surface is a strange decision to make voluntarily. Like, if stuff happens and, you know, the weather's beyond your control, fair enough, but it was a a known goal, I reckon. Exactly. He's a master at media, media manipulation, yes. Mr Chris Scott, and uh, especially yeah. after an unforeseen loss. Speaking of manipulation, Twitter loves to manipulate the umpires, the umpires' results, and you have a long history on this podcast or various names of this podcast being an ump hater. Yep. I don't want to talk about the umps in particular, but let's talk about the rules. And that's yep. been the three big ones that have been coming in the offseason. And the first one that's come to our attention this week was the bump. Obviously, there's been a class action uh compiled against the AFL uh, very recently and more and more players and past players are joining that class action mm-hmm. around concussion and yep. appropriate protocols and appropriate actions to be taken during career and post-career. Yeah, And then obviously we saw some massive bumps on the weekend yep. and everyone has lamented the fact that they happened. Uh, a lot of people have talked about, you know, should they, how many weeks should you get? The usual chit-chat. But then uh, Mitch Robinson of Brisbane fame and of, of Twitch uh, streaming fame came out and just said, I don't care what anyone says this is a part of footy I bloody love. Take that out of the game and it's just who is the most talented. That ta- The tackle is already on the way out and he shows the uh, bump from the Adelaide GBOS game. So as a fan, mm. do you love the bump? Would you stop going to the footy, stop watching footy if the bump was completely eliminated? No, I wouldn't stop watching the game if it was eliminated. Um, I, I don't mind a hip and shoulder, but what we saw on the weekend... Mm. Those intentional bub bumps, front on to the head, legs off the ground, um, intentional bumps that were made to cause injury. Um, yeah, that that's an ugly look. So mm. yes, that a hundred percent. That has to be scrapped out of the game. But at the moment, there's this obviously the fine line between like the intended action and the outcome. Yes. So already seeing this, you know, someone has been knocked down, they get straight back yeah. up versus someone who's been knocked down, they stay down, they get concussed, you break someone's jaw, six weeks, four weeks, two weeks. Correct. But yeah. however, the action is the same. You are bumping. Yeah. The easiest thing to do, and it has been suggested by some people in the media, is that you just get rid of the bump. You just have to tackle. You have to yeah. do it appropriately. You cannot. No, you can no longer line someone up and then turn and hit them without the intent to tackle them properly. Mm-hmm. If we got rid of the bump and, you know, Anyone who can, anyone our age can remember Rex Hunt on a grand final eve, Biff Bumps and Brawlers. It's been yeah. a part of the game for a very long time. Yeah. But so was punching people off in like the 80s in the background. So we got rid of that. Yeah. Can we get rid of the bump or are we losing something too much from our game? I don't think, I don't think we would be losing a lot, to be honest. I don't know if you'd agree with me, but I don't, I don't think we, I don't think we see it as often as we, I think um, we do. Use, yeah. yeah. Like, I think maybe 10 years ago, there was a lot more bumping going on. But right now, I don't think there is that much, to be honest, because because of that fear of getting suspended or, you know, copying a two $3,000 fine. I think a lot more plays these days, um, yeah, would rather keep that cash. And, yeah, I don't think we're seeing as many bumps, um, particularly of what we saw on the weekend. But if we scrapped bumps... Um, as a whole, I don't think we'd really notice that much, to be honest. No, and I, I think it depends a lot on who you ask and how people consume football. Because I think back yeah. in the day, most of the consumption of football when the bump was at its prevalent, 70s and 80s, you went to the game to watch it. 
Yeah. So the physicality potential was a bit more visceral. It was a bit more yeah. you know, animalistic, the whole nature of football back then, and it was very a very violent game. But now we watch this game on, on TVs more often than not. Yeah. And the silky skills and the best players having room to move and being protected and playing whole games and whole seasons yeah. makes it a more enjoyable product and a more enjoyable entertainment piece to, to watch. So yeah. I don't think that many people would be upset about the bump. Yeah. I just think there's a very loud minority that are like, footy was like that in the old days. Yeah. So we better have the bump. But yeah. I think, yeah, most of our generation would be like, why why bump at all? Yeah, exactly. Tackling's probably a better option in more mm. situations, to be quite honest. But, yeah, I, yeah. I think the, the headline of eliminating the bump would, would cause a massive stir. And, oh, that would be, yeah. Um, but, yeah, again, I, I really yeah. don't think we'd notice. Uncle Frank's already upset about the grass. Let's not take away the bump from him as well. <laughs> The other big talking point or big talking point about commerce was the tactical sub. And so obviously we got rid of the injury sub. Now you can choose when to play it. Yeah. Uh, we had six subs were for injury um, and you know, they played out to, to varying effects. And then obviously the other 12 were all made in a tactical sense. Did you notice anything, you know, stark or really game changing about the sub or, you know, is it literally just the 23rd? 23rd best player available at the club coming on to replace, you know, either an injured player or someone who's not match fit. Um, I, I, I didn't mind it as a whole, to be honest. And again, it wasn't much different to what we had last year with the with the injury sub. Obviously, making it the tactical sub, we see a bit more of these activated players coming on. Uh, obviously, every team uh, used the tactical sub. Uh, one thing I I didn't really like about it um and it actually happened in the hawthorne game it could have happened across the other games uh that i didn't watch but um like for example jacob kajitsky was hawthorne's only tall forward in that game against essendon uh hawthorne struggled taking marks inside the forward 50 kajitsky struggled uh throughout the game couldn't really have an influence and then he gets dragged he gets substituted off at halftime or just after halftime and i think that's being dragged and being taken out of a game where, you know, that type of player is much needed, I think that's going to provoke a lot of um, criticism for for those players. And it's going to be interesting um, how that's going to happen. Like if, if we see more players getting dragged at half time, um, how fans might react to that. I, don't, I, I find it quite interesting um, to see how that's going to play out. So, yeah, it, it might not be as good from a player's point of view, Um as much as you know a coach's point of view mm. going back to the old days of like the the one sub rule and you know you got dragged yeah. in in the first quarter because you're no good and you didn't play the rest of the game so yeah that could be an interesting point i think the coaches are smart enough to potentially just make that like a pretend injury sub so you almost go back you call it a tactical sub now yeah but anytime a player gets you know tactically substituted out of the game yeah. i wouldn't be surprised if the coach just diverts back to oh no, they got a little niggle or they're a little bit under under the weather or they make up some kind of injury excuse to yeah. uh to protect the player from such mm. criticism that you've just described so it'd be interesting to see that mm. and it'll also be interesting to see how often the injury sub does actually get used versus the tactical sub so st kilda's example was they went with the tactical sub change at three-quarter time and then they lost a defender like straight away in the fourth quarter and had to play yeah. the majority of that last quarter, a man down in rotation. Yeah. So I think that 
people are trying early in the season when, you know, you can still have a bit more leeway to try some things. True. Yeah. I think the later we go, the more they'll fine-tune it, and I wouldn't be surprised if we read it straight back to just coaches using it for injuries because it makes the most sense. Yeah. So watch this space. And then, yes, we'll finally get to the umpires. Two quick questions about the umpires. So did you see much of a difference with four umpires on the field? To be honest, I didn't notice at all. We'll be back after a quick break. I didn't notice it all either, um, but I didn't pick out as many umpiring errors. And that would be because, shout outs to one of my favorite Twitter profiles is uh, has ump stuffed up, at has ump stuffed up. Yes. The, uh, <laughs> the profile which goes and apparently it's an ex-AFL umpire incognito who grades every game for Twitter. Yep. What a life. Anyway, <laughs> has the umpire made a bad decision is his title, and he goes through and lists all the games. We had six games with an umpired well or higher um, rating. The highest rating game, according to him, was Suns versus Swans. And then we had two poorly umpired games, D's Dogs, Giants, Crows, and one terribly umpired game, which was Hawks Dons, which... Yep, uh... Considering you hadn't actually mentioned the umpiring yet as a Hawks fan, uh, obviously it wasn't that bad. No, it wasn't too bad. I mean, I think across the course of the weekend, there were some some errors from umpires, but not bad umpiring, Mm. if you know what I mean. There's a difference between that. Bad errors meaning, okay, they've made a mistake. They probably know they've made a mistake. You move on. Versus Sicily uh, gets called for dissent in the uh, back 50 and you get your goal against against you and you blow up. Exactly right. Yeah. but yeah, I like there, there were maybe a couple in that Essendon Hawthorne game that didn't get called. Um, I think there was a couple of tripping ones, uh, a bit of inconsistency there. It wasn't one of the worst umpired games I've seen though. Um, and then again across the course of the weekend, I think there was a couple of spoils out of bounds that again um, got called for deliberate, deliberate when they shouldn't have been called for deliberate. Um, but th- I think I'm putting that down to these umpires maybe being a bit rusty. It's round one. Give them the benefit of the doubt. We move on. But, uh, yeah, over the course of the weekend, I, I really didn't have an issue with uh, some of the umpiring. But, mm. um, yeah, we'll see how this goes uh, in, in the next coming weeks. Um, but so, so far, so good with the fourth umpire. Maybe it has had a positive impact. Yeah. And then the last uh, point to uh, mention, and this is mostly just as a nominal Richmond fan, is obviously prior opportunity. Yeah. Uh, everyone was focusing on the Thursday night curtain raiser, Richmond versus Carlton, and uh, Dusty Fend. Is it on the way out? Because he has he got called, I think, for three or four holding the ball or incorrect disposal or prior opportunity uh, infringements, whereas previous times that would be considered as not prior opportunity because he couldn't. You can't handle if you've only got one arm, if one arm's on the football and the other arm's being tackled mm. or using to fend. Previously, that was, you know, just part and parcel of the tackling action. Now it's been deemed if you go and engage in the fend, 
that's your priority. Uh, that's your priority. Yeah, you correct. don't have priority anymore. Yeah. Do we like it? Are we missing out on something? Should Dusty be allowed to fend, or is this just Richmond fans having a sook? I think it's just one of those um, one of those risks that the player with the ball has to take. Um, I don't think it's going to kill the fend or anything like that. Um, you know, more often than not, I think, especially with Dusty, you know, that fend is going to work. Um, it didn't on the weekends. One of them actually didn't get, get called, which I recall. Um, but, yeah, I don't think that's going to stop players from fending or breaking tackles. That, that's always going to be a part of the game. You can't stop that. But in terms of the actual decision, I, I, I don't mind it. You know, if you do go for that fend and you get caught, yeah, holding the ball. Mm. And ironically, with all these, you know, prior opportunity calls being made, I think there was like a 25% decrease in free kicks given in round one. Again, shout outs to uh, has the arm stuffed up yep. for those statistics. <laughs> uh, a, a Twitter handle that just keeps on giving. Round one, overreactions. And I must admit, not only did I overreact to the results of round one, <laughs> I overreacted to quarters and halves of round one. Yes. In various true. football chats, I was just saying, oh, this person's season's over. This has team season's over. Only for them to, you know, turn around a 30-point deficit and make me look like an idiot. That's how deprived we were of footy, mate. It just, I was just so keen to just, <laughs> just, just get off some hot takes. And so we'll go through uh, game by game and our big takeaways. And um, let's start with Richmond Carlton. Yep. And uh, you've got a juicy one to start off with. Yeah. Uh, again, I'd be guilty. Uh, I'm, I'm guilty to the same thing you were. I, uh, halfway through the game, I was thinking to myself, both teams don't look like top eight material teams. There was a lot of turnovers, a lot of scrappy footy. It wasn't the best game, um, obviously, to start off the season. I think a lot of people were expecting a little bit more from Richmond Carlton. And yeah, I think, yeah, I, I was thinking both both these teams, they don't look like teams that we'd be, be playing in finals. But by the end of it, I was, again, I, after I had to think about it, uh, I think it's just a bit of that round one ru- uh, rust and I think they just went too hard as well in that first quarter. It was such a frantic game of footy um, that both teams were just caught come the second half. Mm. Although, and again, my bias, I am a nominal Richmond fan. I think, you know, Richmond probably had the worst game but the more upside, I think, and they were lucky probably to get away with the with the draw. We'll mm. take that. I think that's a, a win. If every draw has a winner and a loser, I think Richmond won that draw. But my big takeaway is the inside 50 efficiency. Obviously, all preseason, it's this rejuvenated forward line, the most arguably going to be the most potent forward line in the competition, most dangerous, so many different looks. Uh, they had inside inside 50 differential of uh, 20, 21, but they only had it efficiency of 27 percent so is that suggesting that it's not going to work is that suggesting they got room to improve or is it just a a classic case of round one too early to tell too early to tell yeah i mean yeah it's it's a small sample size to go off um but then again yeah no uh, yeah i'll leave it at that i think it's round one too early to tell I was going to expand on that but (laughs) it's hard exactly it's very much hard to and i just heard ridiculous things where i think on crunch time, they were talking about how, you know, Jack Rewalt and Koch, they need to have some hard conversations with them yeah. because maybe they're not, you know, no longer in the top 22, whereas Carlton made some really tough choices and played um, some young people. Yeah. Now, that was Sellers saying that, and he's, you know, 
a senile and be a massive uh, massive Carlton one-eyed supporter yeah. who works in the media. So you can take that with a grain of salt. But I think those overreactions, yeah. you know, you can need to bed them in. And you so. can see that in the last quarter as well. Richmond obviously had more opportunities. And although they would take the draw as a win, um, I reckon they almost played better than – oh, they did play better than Carlton in that last quarter and probably mm. deserved to win. Um, but the, the opportunities that they created – yeah, they just couldn't couldn't capitalize on the sh- and again shots that that usually convert as well. The Shai Bolton one uh, directly in front, he opts for the snap kick instead of the drop punt. Um, and yeah, there were a few others. Taranto running in and goal instead of backing himself and taking the shot, he turns around, handballs it. Um, I think yeah, come next week or the week after uh, when they're at you know when that fitness builds and that match sharpness grows. Uh, that'd be better for it. So mm. watch this space. The only thing to watch this space would be for Carlton and their game management, I suppose. And it's very interesting because we're about to talk about Geelong and Collingwood and the take there is very different. So last year, Carlton seemingly lost so many games that they shouldn't have been able to, whereas Collingwood won all the games that they probably couldn't have. Yeah. Interesting way to take this. And so some people will say, oh, they need to have better match management. You have the lead, you protect it. Others and we'll get to Collingwood, would say, no, you just need to keep playing the football that got you into this position to have the lead in the first place. Correct. They have been unable to do either of those two things. Yeah. Close out, you know, Clarko style for a hard-fought win yeah. or kick on and win by plenty. So they need to work that out because that was end of last year as well. Carlton were doing the same mistakes in games where they should have won more comfortably when they either lost or didn't win by that much. But um, mm. Watch that space as well. Friday night, everyone said, well, this is the grand final preview. These are the two best teams <laughs> in the competition. Pack her up and let's get to September. But you said that Geelong looks old and slow. Come the second half, they did. They did. They looked really good in the first half. I thought they were just going to prove too good for Collingwood once again. But um, when the second half came around, Collingwood just had all the energy, all the run. And especially in the last quarter, the Cats just could not get that ball forward. Um, again, it's round one. Tom Hawkins comes into the side, not 100% match fit. Um, I think that, that that was the case for a lot of their players. They had a few injuries on the night, Stuart, um, to Coning, uh, who, who didn't play. And, yeah, I, I think, again, Geelong will be better for it um, as the season progresses. But, yeah, I think in that second half... Um, it, they obviously weren't at their peak. Absolutely. And so the other part is everyone's now saying that Collingwood's best footy is the best in the competition. Yeah. Now, part of me was like, yeah, that's a solid take. Like they, the way they were playing in the second half on Friday night, I don't know who stops that. Yeah. Then I thought about a bit more of the weekend and I thought the team that stops that is them. Mm-hmm. Like if your game is set up on taking these aggressive inside kicks, you're yeah. not going to hit them every single time. Yeah. And that was a difference. I think they basically did hit him every single time against Geelong. Like that game, that second half went pretty perfectly against a tiring side. Mm. But if you do end up turning the ball in the middle to a Geelong, to a Melbourne, to a Sydney, yeah. even to a Port Adelaide or a Brisbane, they're going to score against you like they did last year to Collingwood. Hence, they had so many tight, tight games. Yeah. And then apparently uh, in the offseason, uh, McRae was asked, you know, oh, you know, you won so many games in a row by such a small margin last year. You know, yeah. what's your take on the luck? Will it run out this year? And he's like, well, no. When we go back and analyse that, we should have won most of those games by 30 points. Like yeah. We were in positions where we should have capitalised more on those situations, not be thankful for the luck that we had. 
So it's kind of hard to uh, ascertain you know, which side of the coin to take from COVID from this game other than when it works, it works, and it works really, really well. And so then after the action-packed Friday night blockbuster one versus two, we were thrilled to see ourselves wake up bright and early on Saturday morning for North Melbourne versus West Coast. Did you watch it? Be honest. I did. There you go. And I thought you might because Clarko was back and Clarko was at his finest with a big win from the Ruse. What's your hot take from the game? Yeah, well, before I get into my hot take, this game actually surprised me. It was actually, it turned out to be a very good game. But my hot take, Harry Sheasel, he, he's got one hand on the rising star. An unbelievable game, 34 disposals. Um, I think that's the most disposals by a debutant since like uh, early 2000s, 2001 or something like that. Um, but he, he said it himself. This was his first game playing off halfback. Little side note, that is such a, Alistair Clarkson thing to do. This kid was drafted as a forward who can go into the midfield, but he gets thrown into defense to learn the defensive aspect of his game, um, learn the positioning. So, because we, we see it so much when, when new forwards come into the game, they can get a bit lost playing in the forward line. They can go missing a little bit. So to get on the ball a little bit more, we saw it with Nick Dacos last, last year, who won a rising star playing back there. Um, but yeah, he he just fitted in so seamlessly. Uh, he, his skills were immaculate, and to get thirty four touches on an AFL debut, it, it's just incredible. But then again, like as as the weekend progressed, um, we we saw all these little gems from last last year's draft pop up, and another one from that game was Ruben Jinby, who from West Coast, who also had a really good game for the Eagles, and then Cameron McKenzie, who was. Hawthorne's best player on the ground on Sunday. So, um, and I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing a few more from last year's draft pop up. Cadman, the number one pick. Um, North, uh, North Melbourne's Wardlaw, who they picked up with pick number two. Um, and yeah, Essendon's Elijah Sartas, Bailey Humphrey. There's so much more still to come, but um, yeah, proving to be a really good uh, draft year last year. Yeah, there we go. And so I'll pick up on something you said there about Clarko because after he retired, everyone was like, he obviously retired, he hates rebuilds. The last couple of years at Hawthorne weren't great where you're in this in-between stage between having veteran players and lots of youngsters. Yeah. I suppose everyone forgets that like when he started at Hawthorne, he had to do the build. Yeah. So it's not so much the rebuild, it's it's the build here for, for North and perhaps he is good. Like As a Hawthorne fan living and growing up in that prime mm. Clarko era, are you surprised or not surprised by how well North North performed in on day one of the Clarko era? Not surprised at all. Uh, he, he's rebuilt twice. He rebuilt when he first arrived at Hawthorne. That was the big rebuild. But then he also had to reset again um, between that 2008 and 2013 era between the two premierships. Um, yeah, I, he, I, I hear a lot of people saying they don't, Rate Clarkson, or he's, Clarkson's a little bit overrated because he has handballed that team that with you know Buddy Franklin, Sam Mitchell, Luke Hodge, etc. But I don't know. I think developing players, um, a, a key behind developing players comes from coaching. So yeah, I I certainly wouldn't be um, saying Clarkson's overrated or anything like that. I think he's the right man for the job when it comes to rebuilding a side. So um, he, I, I'm, 
I'm also not saying that his methods, some of his methods might not be a little bit outdated in terms of game plans and that sort of stuff. But when it comes to looking after kids and helping them pave away uh, for their AFL careers, um, yeah, I, I rate him very highly in that in that aspect. And speaking of hot takes, on the flip side of that coin was our West Coast who, you know, up until, you know, uh, mm. You know, basically three quarter time, they were looking in pretty much dire straits, and they fought back valiantly in the back half of that game there. But uh, yeah. uh, David King and all of his might and power, and his three hour uh, slot on SEN, said that they need to make a statement. They need to they need to drop a veteran legend to shake up the group. Now, as a fan, if a player is in your best twenty two, mm-hmm. should they be selected, or should you play mind games and do the fans accept it? So he was saying, you know, Dom Shea should get dropped, not because he's the worst player, not that should, because he wouldn't come back, but because you need to shake up the group to make a big statement by dropping a legend. Yeah. Like if you were at Hawthorne during that peak year and you went through a little dip, should you just, you know, drop Luke Hodge? So you're like, oh, you know, even Luke Hodge isn't, isn't you know, protected from, from the drop. Yeah, it, it makes a statement. It does. But um, is it rubbing fans? Like as a fan, you know that Luke Hodge is in your best 22. You know that Dom Sheed's in your best 22. Well, if they're you in just the, pick them. Yeah, surely. Exactly. If, they're, if they're in form and, you know, their standards are, are high and all that, yeah. But uh, if they're not up to match fitness or, um, yeah, their standards have dipped a bit, then I think no one should be um, – yeah, no one should just be walking into a best 22 if they're not, you know, match ready. I think you got to keep everyone on a level playing field. That's how you set standards. That's how you set a culture. Um, yeah, if you start handing games out, uh, gifting games to veteran players just because of their history and their past, um, what does that say to the young players? It's, it's, it's a bit unfair on them if they're really banging down the door to get in, but that spot in the team is never up for grabs because of a veteran player. Then, um, yeah, I think it would be unfair on them. There you go. All for blood and the youth, unsurprisingly, given the current state of the Hawthorne Football <laughs> Club. Uh, we went to some better games, although that was a good game, as you said. Port Adelaide versus Brisbane, an absolute tale of, well, one mm. quarter and then three quarters following. And uh, you're saying here that maybe North was the problem all along for Jason Horn Francis. Yes, it seems like that. Home is where the heart is. Jason Horn Francis, first game for Port Adelaide. I'm sure he took a uh, a nice bath after this game, but he was brilliant for Port Adelaide. 25 disposals, a goal. Um, He was a catalyst in that win for Port Adelaide. He wasn't a downhill skier or anything like that. He, um, that is that is what we wanted to see uh, all along from this uh, number one draft pick. So much more like it from Jason Horn Francis. Port Adelaide fans will be happy. Kane Corns will be happy. Hopefully we can see more of that. Um, but yeah, I guess the question is, uh, th- I mean, that's where the question lies now is, uh, can he keep it up? Uh, obviously, obviously he's had those uh, disciplinary issues. So yeah. Um, Looking forward to seeing how he uh, builds on from this game. And so pre-season, Ken Hinckley under the pump. Halftime, Ken Hinckley massively under the pump. And uh, yeah, what a halftime speech that was because the third quarter, they won the disposal count by 50-odd, the yep. contested disposal count by 10 or so. They won the clearances, they won the tackles, they won the inside 50s, 21 to 6, and they kicked eight goals, four to one goal, two, mm. to basically ice the game, and then they kicked on afterwards from there. And that's the part where 
usually this happens to Brisbane in finals. Usually it's like, you know, they're pretty competitive, but when a team decides to take them on head-on, they yeah. crumble. And Port Adelaide, for some reason, and I'd love to be or have the footage, and maybe it'll come out because clubs are being a bit more uh, open about their media usage at the moment in terms of behind-the-scenes stuff. Maybe it'll come out with a great halftime speech. But it is just nice to see Port finally, after about a year and a half of this slow, you know, pragmatic football, go, no, we've got lots yeah. of fast guys yeah. who are, you know, really good kicks. We should do that. And they did that and, and they won. So that's not terribly in-depth analysis, but good to see Port back to their best, mm. at least for a half of football. Yeah. And I'm not writing Brisbane off either. No. It was a, it was a shocking performance, but how many times have we seen a team, a, a favourite, lose round one and then go on to win the premiership? Mm. Very often over the last few years, to be honest. There's um, a difference between losing round one and losing by 10 goals, though. Yes. But and the way they lost was pretty woeful. And it's the way that they've lost previously where... Yeah. Good teams will rip them apart yeah. by just being aggressive. Canning, because that's always been the thing. Like, they're such a high scoring team. Yeah. And but it's like, well, actually, no, we're just going to match up to you yeah. and, and dominate you. And so that'll be interesting to see if other teams can replicate. Otherwise, it might be a very long season for the Lions. Mm. Speaking of long seasons, I said in our preview last week that the dogs are on the fade. You said oh. the dogs are your bolter. And one weekend, you're already jumping off the wagon. I don't think they can win the premiership. I really don't. I don't think this, they can play the finals. I think <laughs> I think they can play finals. I had them as my smoky for the flag, but yeah, yeah that's gone. They've I, been smoked. Mate, the, Melbourne Melbourne are, are, are obviously a very good football team, yeah. but they were missing Stephen May, Bailey Fritch, Christian Salem, Jack Viney, um, and they absolutely smoked the Bulldogs. Um this was a very good Bulldogs team. Yes, albeit without Josh Dunkley, but the forward line they had, I, I was such a big fan of their forward line. I named them all last week. Yeah, Rory Lobb, the thrown Josh Bruce in defense and um, Darcy to try and fit them all in. Um, but yeah, Ugal Hagen, Norton, um, and, and Rory Lobb, the new recruit, they had zero impact between them. I think... The most disposals by any of them, I think, was... Let me just get this up so I'm giving you accurate statistics. Norton, 11 disposals, one goal. Ugal Hagen had seven disposals and Rory Lobb had six six touches with zero shots on goal. So something's not working um, in that forward line. It might take a few games for them to get that chemistry going, but maybe it is too tall... Maybe they do still need to find a balance there. I know they've still got Cody Waitman um, to come back in, who wasn't there the other night. But, um, yeah, something wasn't working for them, certainly on Saturday Saturday night. So the part I don't quite understand is that their biggest flaw has always been their inefficiency of ball use. So unlike the benchmark this year, so let's say Mm -hmm. Collingwood, super efficient going forward. They go forward aggressively, but they do it. They get deep entries, and when they decide to pull the trigger, they make it count. Western Bulldogs have the highest disposal to inside 50 rate. They Mm. just love to use the football around wherever, and that was last year because of that all everyone's a midfield mentality. Everyone has similar game styles. Now they've got the tools at both ends, but they still seem to have this mentality. So they, they won the contestant possessions. They won their overall possession count. You know, they won the clearances, but they don't make it count. They had yeah. 10 less inside 50s from all that, you know, disposal disposal dominance. Yeah. 
And it's that just that inefficiency. And if you're already inefficient with all the midfielders at your disposal, taking them away and adding workload to those and then having disconnect between tours at both ends of the ground, even the way they defended, they were quite disconnected. You could just tell that they, they haven't bedded in that game style yet with the different personnels and the different game styles required. So yeah. it'll be a tricky thing for, for Beveridge to uh, to handle and it's a very deep and um, considerable diversion from his previous coaching styles. So I'd be interested to see if it pays off. I don't think it will. I think they're not playing finals, but it is just round one. Mm. So other than uh, Sydney's going to win the flag, what was your hot take from the Gold Coast? <laughs> this is a very harsh one, actually, but... I think the experiment on the Gold Coast is over, Gordo. What about it, though? How long have they been in the competition for now? Since 2009, almost 14 years. Yeah. 14 years. They've never made finals once. Yep. They've got the lowest membership number in the AFL. Um, every year we expect a little bit more from them, and rightly so, because they've been gifted draft picks to get this experiment going. They've got a lot of young talent they've they've got a list they've had a list in the past where the, they should have been making finals at least and especially this year I just expected a little bit more from them Rao going into you know another fit preseason took Miller Noah Anderson Ben King coming back from injury I just expected a little bit more from them and what do they do when they're playing at home against Sydney for round one they get absolutely spanked this happens year in, year out, Gordo. When are we going to say enough is enough? This team, I can never see them winning a premiership. I know it's harsh to say, but can you, I mean, I'm going to ask you, can you see them winning a premiership at this, the MCG? This, this actual team, like just, this squad of no, this squad of 30, the, the or, the, or just anyone in those colours? Anyone in those colours. This club lifting up a premiership cup, can you see it? Well, I can, but I feel like they need... Again, it's a classic thing to do. It's like, oh, what are other sports doing? But the Dolphins are over in the NRL. They're just down the road from, not just down the road from the Gold Coast. It's a bit of a drive, but <laughs> fair enough. That's, they're, they're closer than most other teams. Yeah. And they were written off in the preseason and they got the best coach in the game and they're making it work and they're currently 3-0. Okay. So why hasn't it worked there? And I suppose the answer is they didn't do what, the, like even GWS, they went straight to Sheedy. Yeah. They got the best promo guy and probably a very, very good, well, not probably, a very, very good coach. Whereas Gold Coast, it was, it's always been bits and pieces. It's yeah. always been, oh, let's give someone a shot. Let's give someone a try. It's always been young talent. And the only time they were really, truly viable was when Gary Ablett went there. Mm. Yeah. So yeah. They, they, maybe it is the hero complex. They needed to get Clarko, probably. And yeah. They missed out on that. Yeah. They got Stuart Yu instead. He's a great coach, but he doesn't have that cachet and there's no reason. What needs to happen is they need to go get a mix of talent because all they've had is, you know, top-tier talent in the draft. Yeah. So what happens if they have a bunch of young kids yeah. and it's in a sport where you have 18 players on the field at once, mm. if, if three-quarters of your team are super young, just like Hawthorne, yeah. you're going to get... You're going to get bashed up because you're kids. You're playing. You're playing a reserve side or an yeah. under, under nineteen side against grown men. And the retention issue doesn't mm. help. They lose Isaac Rankin. And so, and then if you were a player at Gold Coast, you're doing the same thing. Yeah. People are at home speaking to their microphones just like you were on their on your phone and being like, "Mum, Dad, I'm not going to win a premiership here. What's the point?" 
Exactly right. I can go get 300K somewhere else. Exactly I'll, I'll take right. a small pay cut and yeah. go play in Melbourne or I'll get, yeah. and I'll get some more sponsorship deals and I'll play for Collingwood and I might win a flag or I'll play for Eston and we'll play in front of fans or I'll go back home to Fremantle or West Coast or wherever it is because, yeah. as you just said, literally everywhere would be more fun to play footy. Exactly right. So I, I Yeah, that's exactly my point. I, I just... It, it looks pretty grim for the Gold Coast, and mm. I know I'm just basing this all. I'm not. I'm not just basing this all off around one performance. Mm. I'm just, you know, we, we've seen this now for um, for 14 years, 13, 14 years, it, and nothing's changed. So, who's going to be that player? Who's going to be that group of players to really put this club on their shoulders and make a change? I think that's what needs to happen. Yeah. Is that it needs to be like as you had mentioned here in our show notes, Raul Anderson, King, and Lukosius. Yeah. They all need to come out, yeah, to the to the to the twelve members of the club, yeah, and and say we are staying, yeah, we're all going to sign six year deals, yeah, and we're going to build something, yeah. King's until an they do that, one. yeah, until they until they all commit, yeah, then they are going to be drips and drabs, and they're going to try and build a culture, but it's going to be a transient place where it's going to be people who are on the reserves lifted Premiership clubs going up to the filler gap. Yeah. or young guns and it's going to be a bits and pieces team and they're not going to do anything. So I do agree. It's a hot take to say you know, this year they're absolutely done, but it's not just this year. It's been every other year. It's been yeah. all the coaches that they've had, all the assistants, all the all the players. Yeah. And the only time it worked was when uh, Gary Ablett was up there and mm. he ain't coming back anytime soon. So uh, <laughs> shout outs to the 12 Suns listeners that are listening to this <laughs> podcast. Another game of two halves, the Giants and Adelaide. Yes. <sighs> I think I texted to my uh, footy chat group, uh, death taxes and giants underperforming with a list that it should be premiership quality. And yep. then uh, and then the second half happened and I looked like a goose. But uh, I was thinking the same thing, Gordo, because I was obviously very bullish about the giants. I, had, I, I thought they could make the top eight this season and by half time I was thinking the same thing. I'm like, who was I kidding? This team is bloody useless. Hmm. They're down by five goals to the Crows yeah. and they're playing at home as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the turnarounds, yeah, it was, it was, that's what they needed. Hmm. And the, the big stars stood up for them. Cornelio was brilliant. Um, Tom Green was really good. Kelly got injured, unfortunately. Toby Green kicked four goals. That's what we got to see. That's all we, we we need to see that consistently now from the Giants. That's what they're capable of: big scores, exciting footy, um, scoring goals quickly. Um, I, I still think they can make finals for sure. I'm mm. not writing them off for that. That's for sure. And so, it's interesting how we hold the two outsider clubs to different standards. So, obviously, just mentioned there, Green, the two Greens, Canelio, Ward, Hogan. That's a good. That's a decent group of players, and they've all been there for. Well, mine is Hogan. They've all been there for some time. Yeah. If Raul Anderson, King, and Lukosius go back to the Suns, just stay there for some time, like four, five, six years. Yeah. They will at least be at the Giants' level of playing finals year yeah. in, year out. You can't guarantee a premiership. No one can guarantee a premiership, but you can guarantee some growth and yeah. give people a reason to go to that club and get memberships. So the Giants, ironically, is the model that they should be following. Yeah. But I, I don't know how you how you achieve that now. Well, that's, what's the difference between the cl- two clubs? Why are the Giants doing better than the Suns? Because they made a conscious effort to stay together. Is that what it is? I think so. Or is that, do you reckon it's a location thing? Do you reckon Sydney's just well, more Western exciting? Sydney, well, Sydney's probably more fun to live in the Gold Coast, but, like, they're much of a muchness. They're not that far apart, and Western Sydney's not much chop. Yeah. It's not like 
Yeah, I mean, they're not, they're, they're, they are Western Sydney, but they play their home games. The, the Sydney showgrounds are in Sydney, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. Know. But like that's it's their catch area. Whatever it's yeah, called, Giant yeah. Stadium. Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's an interesting one. But yeah, two diff- completely different paths those two clubs are on. Mm, absolutely. So your hot take from the Hawthorne game is obviously that you're going to finish with the spoon, but you said that the Hawks made Essendon look better than they actually are. Oh, yeah. So is Essendon not that good? No. Oh, spoiler alert, they're not that good. No, they're not. (laughs) Uh, And I was actually, I was at the game with an Essendon mate and I was at halfway through the second quarter, we were saying to each other, this is last versus second last footy. Mm. It was was terrible. It was turnover after turnover, um, but... I was thinking to myself as well, I'm like, one of these two teams are going to um, jump the other at some point and take advantage of all these turnovers. And it was Essendon doing it to Hawthorne. The, the, if you look at the stats, they're all very similar. The clearances, the inside 50s, the, there wasn't much separating the two teams. What the key difference was, was Essendon's transition play and Hawthorne's inability to stop that, um, to stop the rot, the, the, the momentum wave that just hit him um, simply because I'm putting it down to the mature bodies. They didn't mm-hmm. have the mature bodies, the running capacity. It was literally men versus boys. Hawthorne's team, I mean, their average age of their whole squad is 22. I'm not sure what the average age of the team was on the weekend, but uh, yeah, it would have been 20. It's it's an under-21s team pretty much, and that's what it looked like on the weekend was men versus boys. And I don't think Essendon will be able to do what they did on the weekend against the better teams in the competition, mm. that's for sure. And so the upside for you as a Hawthorne fan is that it's boys. So, like, this is unfortunately to be expected. Yes. The yeah. downside for Essendon is that you and your Essendon mate just said this is last versus second last. Yeah. Essendon's list is not boys. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I, I that's not a profile you want if yeah. you're they're they're like north two years ago where yeah. you know you've got oh, all mate. these veterans still there and you're like oh but we're not actually going to be able to compete. Essendon, Essendon supporters will come for me, but their second half um, it it covered a lot of cracks from the first half. It, it wasn't it wasn't pretty. Maybe it was the rustiness, and I know they've got Stringer and Peter Wright to come back in, but. Um, yeah, I wouldn't be getting carried away about a round one win over Hawthorne. And so not getting carried away is the perfect way to round out our last hot take game, St Kilda versus Fremantle, the Ross the Boss Cup. <laughs> yes. So I'm joining you on this one. This is our hot take. Ross the Boss is back. That's that's the hot take. Take how you will. Yep. My question to you is, is it a good thing? No. God, no, that was the most boring game of the week. Now, you say that, but coming into this game, every media agency, probably including ourselves, I don't really remember that far back in time, said that, like, guaranteed, Freer beats St Kilda. With all their outs, this is an absolute moral lock. Like, there is no way St Kilda can win this game. They've just had the worst preseason in terms of injuries. Preseason health is the most important thing you can possibly have coming into round one. They don't have it. And then Ross, the boss, the tactician that he is... Yeah, yeah. Rolled out some Chelsea park the bus football. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he parked that bus. He did. And he, he parked, parked it well. <laughs> and they won the game. It. Yep. That's it. Now, uh, you said don't ever act around one. That doesn't mean that Ross the bus is going to park the bus every week. Oh, uh, I don't know about that. But when he History wants to, shows he will. <laughs> but he parked that bus because he needed to and he got the four points and he got out of Marvel. He, ironically in a bus. Yeah. And St. Kilda fans have every right to be happy with walking away with the four points. But... 
Is that sustainable football? Well, no. If, if but you're also missing missing a, a third of your play like match day list is also okay. not sustainable. That's okay, but you're not going to win finals and premierships playing that. Football. Absolutely not. But they weren't going to win this game if they were out there with the list that they had, with the players on paper that they had, and tried to play some high octane. Oh, but are we talking about round winning round one, or are we talking about winning sustainable? Well, you have to win round one to win <laughs> to get to finals. Okay. St Kilda aren't thinking about premierships. <laughs> yes. This is a team that's won one premiership in 150 years of football. I, I think they will be happy with just playing some finals. Yes, absolutely. And so to do that, you need to win games. Now they're yeah. one game closer to playing finals. But beating Freo at home isn't the be-all and end-all. I mean, Fremantle played finals last year, yes, but it's not like you beat them over there in Perth. Yeah, but if they, if they try and play attacking football... Like so, Frio had twenty six percent inside fifty efficiency because literally there was one hundred and fifty people in there. Okay, and then they they can attack enough to get to get some points and win the game. But the thing is, is that but if even- they open that game up, Frio Frio had what Frio lined up with like four marking options up there. They had what Jackson, Tracy, Tabner, five. But, if you but- give all them all free reign, <laughs> but the thing is, is with with Ross the boss football, Gordo is even if he did have Max King in a full healthy list, he's still playing that style of football. Well, we don't know that yet. Oh, I don't know. We will we'll wait, have to and, wait see. and see. Yeah. We will, but I don't know. I that If history shows us anything, that is that is Ross football back in the AFL. So and if you were a St Kilda fan, yeah. are you happy for the four points? I'm happy for the four points, yeah. Or are you scared about one. the future? Bit you can't, you can't both. have both, though. Like, what's oh. more important? Do you take the win because you're a St Kilda fan, you don't get to see him very often? Yeah. Or you're like, oh, no. Absolutely, I'm scared about the future. We've got some Ross the Boss yeah. football coming out. absolutely, because they didn't win a premiership playing Ross the Boss football. Frio didn't win a premiership playing it. They finished top of the ladder. It yeah. gets them wins, but it doesn't get them wins at the right time of year. They were, to it, be fair, they, Ross the Boss was like, what, <laughs> a, a, a point off getting a cup. And it's a very different story then. Okay, yeah, but he still didn't win. He still didn't win. Roster fast football doesn't work. Speaking of bosses, speaking of the super coaches, we'll round out every uh, Tuesday podcast this year with some super coach musings yep. for all of those super nerds out there that love their fantasy football. So this segment mm-hmm. is called Desktop Decisions. Not sponsored by anyone, but if you want to sponsor some super coach content, yep. give us a call. We've got the best super coach uh, in the office, in my personal opinion, <laughs> in the game, potentially. No. What was your biggest takeaway from round one, super coach Nikki G? That there is a lot of value lying in mid-prices this year, Gordo. Usually in Supercoach early on, there, there is a cash cow at 102000 or 117000 123 But the best rookies are the expensive ones. The Harry Sheasels, who's just short of 200000 The McKenzies, all, all, all the high draft picks from last year. Or if you go up a little bit further than that, the Finn Callahans at GWS, who played a few games last year. Um, so if you if you want to make serious money this year, um, I wouldn't be jumping on any of the very... I mean, you, you need to have a few cheap rookies in your team, but if you want to make serious money, you need to jump on the right mid-prices. And Horn Francis, Finn Callahan, uh, they're the ones that you need to have. There you go. Don't go cheap or expensive. Go the mid-price, go the value, yep. and uh, see the money roll in. That's the end of our first water cooler cheat seat episode of the fans I'd view for round, round one of 2023 if you've got any hot takes of your own or some uh, cheeky questions you want to ask us uh, hit us up on Twitter 
uh, or on our Facebook page or, you know, just head to the Footy Live app and uh, leave some comments and reviews there. You can get this podcast, obviously, in the app on uh, Spotify as well or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. And uh, until our Thursday preview show, enjoy all the hot takes. But uh, just remember, it's only round one.